Hello and welcome to Super Insider, where we chat about what you need to know to make the most out of your super. I'm Anne Fuchs and I'm the Executive General Manager of Advice, Guidance and Education at Australian Retirement Trust. Now, before we begin the show today, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land and waters where we're recording this podcast. And of course, it's important to remind you that what we discuss today is general advice only. So you'll need to decide if it's right for you. Now, I'm really excited uh, about our show today uh, because there is a lot of interest in this topic, this topic of self-managed super. Uh, We have our National Manager of Strategic Education at Art, Joshua Van Gestel. Hello, Anne. How are you? Yeah, I'm really great. And because I'm really excited for our listeners because he has a really big brain, so much expertise and knowledge about SMSFs. Oh, I I feel like you're setting me up (laughs) now. I am setting you up and rightly so (laughs) because you've got a lot of technical knowledge, but you're able to distill it into plain oh, thank you. English. So that's thank what you. we're going to do So today. that's the challenge and I accept it. Plain yeah. English on self-managed yeah. super. All right, let's do it, shall we, yeah. brother? Let's do it. So, okay, I'm going to fire questions at you. Please do. Okay. Please do. Considerations when it comes to self-managed super versus, you know, an ordinary super account. I think a lot of people hear self-managed super and think, well, I did my own bathroom in the house or I did my own renovation, maybe I can do my own super. And and I think a bit like renovating the house, sometimes people don't actually realise that there's a lot more work to it. And it's never on time or on budget. Never on time, never <laughs> on right. budget. You tend to make mistakes along the way and a bit of expertise can be really important. So the reason why I say that in context of the question, I think one of the main differences between a self-managed super fund and an ordinary fund is at the end of the day, when it's a self-managed super fund, it is DIY. At at the, the end of the day, you're the one who has to do the work or pay someone to do that work for you. But ultimately, you're the one who's having to really be involved. When it comes to what you call the ordinary super fund or a more typical super fund that people would have, then you've got the superannuation fund trustee who's doing that work for you. So although there are other differences I know we'll get into, I think fundamentally that's probably the key thing to start on. Okay. And so do you think too, is there something, and it's you know purely subjective, I know, but mm. you go around the country and you talk to all sorts of people from mm. all walks of life with self-managed super fund. Yep. Is there something to do with Australia's obsession with property that plays into it? Do you I, think anecdotally or not? I think it is. I think it's, it's actually a number of things that there is this sexiness about, hey, I can get property with my super, but it's not that easy. You tend to see that that fees for a self-managed super fund will start at about $2,000 and go up from there. So people tend to realise that, hey, it's more expensive than maybe I set out on. Secondly, when it comes to then the amount of work, I think people think, yeah, I'll set up a self-managed super fund, buy a property, whack it in and hit, off we go. Should be right, mate. There's a lot of complexity around When you say lots of work, maybe can we just a couple of examples of work for someone who, you know, hears me as the, you know. So, well, if you you think about, if we go right back to, hey, I want a self-managed super fund, how do I start? 
there's going to be establishment requirements. You're going to have to set up what's called a trust deed. You're going to have to go through a number of processes, depending how you set up the self-managed super fund, even before it's running, just to get it operational. Absolutely. That's a lot of work. And it's usually work that you won't be able to do yourself. No, you'll you'll have to pay a solicitor or or an accountant or involve an advisor. Um, the second thing is then, well, if you are going to go down the property line, just as an example, that, well, you've got to go through the process of actually getting the property, getting the finance for the property, which is becoming a lot more difficult for self-managed super funds. A lot of the larger lenders have maybe become a little bit more They've reluctant. Tightened up, yeah, tightened yeah. up the rules. So there's that whole process, just like they normally would with buying it, be with buying a house. But I think the third thing is when it comes to property, I think people think, right, I'll get my super and I'll buy a house that I can live in or I can rent out to someone I know. Again, it's not that easy. When you want to use your super to buy a property through a self-managed super fund, it's got to be what we call a business real property. Um, So it's got to be a property that's at arm's length and and that is actually there really for the purpose of... Yeah, and for driving investment, uh, investment income. So I think for all of those reasons, it becomes complicated before you even start. And ironically too, with an ordinary super, ordinary super invests in property too. It's not like property's not in ordinary super. Well, and and it is an important consideration. Again, when you talk about ordinary super, you think about Australian Retirement Trust. We would have tens of thousands of different property investments that our members are going to be exposed to. If you use all your money in a self-managed super fund to buy a property, you've got this very tight exposure to that one investment. But the comment I often make to people when they do ask when I'm out on the road is, what happens if you need access to some of your super? You decide you want to start drawing down an income or maybe there's you need to make a withdrawal for some reason. You can't just sell the front room of the property. You, you can't just cut half of it off and get cash from it. Um, so there are broader considerations there as well. I think also too, maybe, uh, again, you uh, travel around the country more than I do. The misconception that maybe there's probably less rules attached to self-managed super fund, you know, that it's... So once you've got that set up done that I mentioned earlier, when you're then doing the ongoing running of it, you've got accounting to think about, you've got tax returns to think about, audits to think about, investment decisions. There's a whole range of things that you need to decide, am I going to do this or am I going to because use Because they are expert? required by law. Absolutely. But what people will tend to find is that it's a lot more work than they thought it was going to be when they started out. So the the other element of that is that I think people find out there's a lot of costs associated with that work. If you're not up to doing the administration of your fund yourself, well, you're going to have to outsource it to someone who can. 
Um, so I would actually say that it's the ongoing element as well that is really a key consideration that people just don't understand. We, uh, Josh, we had uh, our chief economist, uh, Brian Parker, who I know uh, you know yes. well. Brian's uh, in, a dear friend. Yes, yes. Uh, on Super Insider talking about the current market volatility yep. and just reminding our listeners about why diversification is so key to making sure you get a really good outcome yep. when you finish your working life and a sustainable income in retirement. Diversification, diversification, diversification. Now, that sounds, what I'm hearing you yep. say, is a really much more challenging thing to oh, achieve. Yeah, and and I think a lot of what we see with self-managed super fund, we've, we've talked about property, but a lot of people will invest in maybe the top 100 shares on the ASX or or they will invest in a really narrow range of, of assets. But um, it... It, it, it is, isn't providing that diversity again that I think people really need. The other thing I would say, though, Anne, is that when people go into a self-managed super fund, my question to them would be, well, why are you doing it? What is it you want to achieve? Mm. And to your, to your question, if I can go one step further, what performance do you expect? What benchmark are you going to use? I, I think very often people go into a self-managed super fund and if you ask them how it's performing, they don't know. No. If you ask them how it's performing against other super funds, the, they and, don't ha- and know. how is that performing the cost of administration versus the real return of yep. what those assets are generating um, after inflation and fees and all those things we talk about? What is the net return and how does that feed into a sustainable income exactly. retirement? But I think it's also important, though, to acknowledge that there are going to be people, particularly those where I'd mentioned that half a million dollar mark, where there are going to be people where it starts become to become maybe something they can consider on that net return. But again, it's thinking about, well, if I've got half a million dollars to invest, I'm going to need some expertise to do that. I'm going to need a financial advisor or I'm going to need someone to help me. So it's really important that it's not just costs and returns, but it's also who do you need to enlist to manage and, those and achieve And look, them. I feel like I'm being a bit of a doomsday, so apologies, listeners, for being the, the downer here. <laughs> but I just, you know, you see it uh, on the news. Uh, in, I'm thinking about the hidden traps mm. and, and investing uh, and the recourse if an investment goes wrong in the context of SMSF where, you know, someone sees an ad in you know, in a their local newspaper yep. about an investment that's generating a certain return, they put their money in and then it vanishes. Yep. And and they yep. don't see that money again. Absolutely. And and that then again when you're in an ordinary super fund, there's usually a recourse there. Large super funds pay a levy to government and that levy ensures a government guarantee that in certain circumstances where there's a failure of investment or a failure of fund, there is actually some recourse there for members. Um, With the self-managed super fund, that's not there. But, and can I also just highlight maybe another area that people often don't think about when they go into an SMSF is the end of it. About is there going to be a point where I actually don't want to have all that responsibility anymore? I want to pass that to someone else. And and so very often people will have an SMSF that their kids might be in or their spouse might be in. 
But it's also thinking about they might just decide they're tired of running it, of being involved. So there needs to, even when you're setting up an SMSF, I think you need to be thinking about, well, what's my exit strategy? They would be a lot of people that I talk to are in fact those people who recognise I'm now losing my passion for it or my faculties or I'm now starting to think about my retirement or what happens next. How do I actually start to back out? So what do you think in terms of um, ART, Australian Retirement Trust, that's similar to an SMSF for our listeners um, to think about considerations? Yeah, I would say that people often don't realise how much investment choice they have. So I think people should really explore the investments that they have on offer, the performance and the cost for those, and really weigh that up against, well, if I go into an SMSF, am I going to have that? That's the first thing. Second thing, though, and probably the one that I would end on, is the biggest advantage, which you've already noted, of a more typical super fund to an SMSF is that point of diversification. If I'm with a large fund, then that's going to give me access to a whole range of properties, whole range of infrastructure, a whole range of unlisted investments. Yeah, and the scale benefits of fees that we're paying investment managers and what have you. Look, I think too, you know, obviously if you're interested in a self-managed super fund and you're wondering if this is something that's right for you, going to our website for more information is always a great place to start as well. And we do have some great information on our website. But I think the other thing is don't go in blind. If you are wanting to think seriously about a self-managed super fund, that's great. But engage with an advisor, engage with an expert that can actually weigh it up for you rather than you just racing in because you think it's the next best thing. And certainly at Australian Retirement Trust, we do have a panel of external financial advisors we can refer to if that's what you're thinking about doing. Uh, Look, Josh, it's been really fun. Thank you for having me, Anne. Oh, it's good, good. It's been a great day having you on the show. So, look, if you've enjoyed this episode and you think it might be of interest to anyone in your world, family or friends, please let them know about it. If you like this episode, please review it and subscribe to wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for joining us today, viewers, and thanks, Josh, for being here. Thank you. Thank you.